five, four, three, two, one. Hi, I'm Mark Boucher. My guest this week is Steve Metzier, the CEO of Maritime Launch Services. Steve's company is working towards building and operating the first commercial spaceport in Canada, and they hope to break ground and begin construction next spring. Before I get to the interview, a word from our sponsor. This episode is brought to you by Penguin Random House Canada. Penguin approached me to get the word out on two books written by astronaut Scott Kelly. I thought I knew a lot about Scott's long-duration mission, as I post an International Space Station report each weekday on Spacerat. That report includes a status report from the station, sometimes a blog post, and a video, or videos. But as I'm reading Scott's book, I'm learning much more. Here's what you need to know about both books. 520 total days in space, and a record-setting year aboard the International Space Station. Astronaut Scott Kelly's memoir, Endurance, and children's book, My Journey to the Stars, tell the story of how a kid who barely scraped through high school became one of the most decorated astronauts of his generation. Endurance is a candid account of his remarkable voyage, of his colorful formative years, and a future mission to Mars. My Journey to Mars tells the story of how both Scott and his identical brother Mark grew up to achieve their dreams of becoming an astronaut. Both books are on sale now and available through the SpaceQ website at spaceq.ca. Welcome, Steve, to the SpaceQ podcast. Thank you. Uh, pleasure to be here very much. You recently held your second open house in Canso to discuss the status of your project as part of your environmental review process. How is the environmental review proceeding? Uh, any issues come up? Um, the, the environmental review process is, is proceeding extremely well and, and on schedule. Uh, we uh, started the uh, provincial EA, you know, last year, earlier this year, rather, uh, but started the data collection in February, which is required. You have to have four seasons of data collected as a part of that uh, review process. All those results compiled into a report. Uh, part of that process also includes doing um, an open house uh, to uh, get input from the community and questions and what have you. And then there'll be another open house that uh, kind of displays all the results of the four seasons of data collection. Uh, we are on schedule to complete that report and get it submitted to Nova Scotia Environment here by the end of the year, uh, first week or two in January at the latest. Okay. Um, and from what I understand and earlier statements you made uh, this year, uh, once that environmental review process is complete, you're hoping to start construction in the spring. Is that a realistic time frame to, be, to begin construction? And I ask that because your company is the first of its kind to build a commercial spaceport in Canada. The regulatory process could take longer. The... Uh, 
expectation is we well the the hope is rather that that we can get through all the regulatory approvals in in uh, the uh, set amount of time. For example, Nova Scotia has a 50-day uh, review cycle uh, as a part of their. Uh, um, uh, environmental assessment review uh if that goes okay and they come out of that 50-day review cycle i mean there are three options obviously there's a reject there's an accept there's an accept with provisos so our hope is that we can uh, get through that 50-day review cycle they, they have a process called one window where all of these uh stakeholder agencies are going to receive this environmental assessment report and they'll all uh, feed in their their input into that and, and we'll have an outcome uh, from that NSC review process. We do have to follow that with the uh, the Crown Land Lease process, Department of Natural Resources, and that process includes, of course, uh, their, their acceptance of everything we've done as a part of the environmental review, uh, a, a, a tender letter from them uh, for the lease, uh, we, at that point, have to get uh, a formal uh, staked survey and appraisal done and, and then hopefully get that deal closed up and approved at, at their level as well, at the senior level within the DNR. Um, but all those things laid you know, end-to-end like that, it looks like if everything goes okay, we can hit a May 1st groundbreaking. May 1st. Oh, okay. That sounds good. Um, I'll have to... Make it out there for that. Much better weather than, than going, let's say, in March. <laughs> uh, indeed. Well, it, it can change day to day pretty rapidly. I've, I've been out there in all seasons now, for sure. So, uh, shifting a little bit here to the Ukrainian side of the equation, um, has any manufacturing begun on, begun on the Ukrainian Cyclone 4M launch vehicle? And, and how long does it take to produce and, and deliver one for you? The Cyclone 4M is is going to be a hybrid rocket. Don't don't get me wrong. Not hybrid in terms of uh, propellant, but hybrid in terms of its its uh, uh, off the shelf components. The upper stage is and was manufactured as a part of the previous Cyclone 4M project, which was the joint venture between Brazil and Ukraine. Uh, that is essentially done there's hardware photographs you know a couple of complete sets of basically upper stages ready to go uh, what we did though for the cyclone 4m is to switch out the first stage uh, with the lox kerosene uh, this is a medium class rocket so we've got uh, on the shelf uh, ready to go design for handling uh, the medium class rocket and we'll use it as in its uh, second stage proven uh, hardy engine that's flown 60 something times 100 percent successful uh, into the overall structure for the cyclone 4m so it's more of a integration of parts. Some of them are already done, uh, but the, the work that uh, Yuznoya is doing right now is essentially all the design work for integration of these known quantity uh, and, and uh, proven heritage components into the vehicle itself. So uh, the, the straight answer is there is no hardware in manufacture. There has been some already made as part of the former program that we get to leverage, uh, and uh, the other stuff uh, will, will be manufactured uh, for first launch, you know, you know, after we get through this uh, design review and integration process. 
Okay. So in uh, there, there was other uh, Ukrainian-Canadian news this week, uh, and this was a news report that was published in uh, an Ukrainian website, although it hasn't been published in Canada yet or confirmed in Canada. Uh, but uh, this, according to this report, the space agencies of Canada and the Ukraine uh, recently signed a memorandum of understanding to work together in Montreal. Uh, were you aware of this? Do you have any thoughts on this? Well, I can certainly confirm it as I was present for it. And I actually have some uh, photos on my phone I can uh, share with you if you'd like that uh, demonstrate that uh, signing ceremony. Uh, we had the pleasure of being invited down uh, by the Embassy of Ukraine to be a part of it. This is a part of uh, a week long of uh, uh, you know two or three days before that of meetings in Ottawa and meeting with uh, President Laporte at the Space Agency Transport Canada and a number of others, uh, but we traveled by train Wednesday morning and caught the event uh, Wednesday uh, afternoon in Montreal. Uh, Prime Minister Groisman was there for the event, as well as uh, uh, Canadian Ambassador Washuk uh, as uh, uh, overseeing the, the signature between uh, uh, President Laporte and Director Detirenko. So yes, it did occur. Uh, yes, the focus of the entire event was uh, about about uh, what the two countries can offer each other in, in this uh, go-forward collaboration. And uh, Cyclone 4M was uh, you know, one of the two that were brought up from the Ukraine side as projects that are of, of the highest interest and, and most potential uh, and quite a bit of emphasis uh, for uh, this event was, was surrounding the Cyclone 4M and Maritime Launch Services participation in it. Hey. Um, well, I'm glad I got confirmation on that. Um, now, once uh, construction uh, begins, uh, optimally uh, next May, uh, what's a realistic time frame for the first launch? I, I know that uh, I think you had originally hoped for a 2019 launch. Uh, is that still the case? And will it be a test article or will it actually carry a paying customer's payload? At this point, uh, we are looking at the summer of 2020 for a first launch. Um, there is a great deal of work, uh, obviously, we need to do to get get there with uh, a solid 18 months of, of site construction and, and another six months of commissioning. Uh, that's why we're looking at a May 1st and, and what can follow from that for getting to uh, a July of 2020 uh, launch date. Uh, let's see. So, you know, uh, it you know that part is going extremely well and i think that we'll be able to make that that date as it stands today if everything goes goes forward as planned uh we are uh, open to and wanting to launch a, a payload aboard uh, this this first launch, uh, given the heritage of the Cyclone 2, Cyclone 3, and the Zenit uh, families that we're uh, putting together on this thing, one is going to have to either fly a dead weight or, or fly a uh, payload, and we do have uh, some uh, uh, potential customers that are interested in that first launch. All right. Um, you had said that uh, your goal was to launch up to eight payloads a year. That seems low to be commercially viable. Uh, previously, uh, John Isla, your former CAO, said you were potentially interested in others, uh, other launch providers using the spaceport. How many launches per year could the spaceport conceivably support per year going forward? 
uh, and that is your customers and others who have signed on to use the space for, spaceport facilities, whether it's for orbital or suborbital? The uh, potential from just the use Noya, use Mosh uh, direction is they have a production schedule that they've shared with us that can deliver a launch vehicle every 29 days or so. So conceivably, we could launch 11 to 12 rockets out of there. Uh, from um, investor perspective, return on investment perspective, we're extremely comfortable with making our, our, our you know, customers, clients happy with the eight launches per year. And we have certainly seen an interest in the market. Uh, out there that would be able to fill uh, that that manifest. You know there is a potential for other launch vehicles that, uh, to to join into this process, uh, and in, including suborbital uh, sounding rockets or what have you. Um, but it, it really needs to be balanced against the community. There, uh, one of the things that we've committed to with them is is to you know honor their livelihood, which is uh, primarily lobster fishing. So there's a 63 day period in May and June in that particular area of the province that the lobster fishing is is uh, going on, and these these, these uh, folks are out on the water every day, uh, pulling up traps, dropping traps, and and bringing in their lobster catches. And uh, they're off the water by two or three in the afternoon, so we could conceivably do a late afternoon launch, that kind of thing. But the uh, the, the the real balancing act is our commitment to make sure that we're not upsetting uh, the the ongoing livelihoods uh, that are on that that are present there as we speak. So, um, could we increase our launch frequency? Yes. Could other folks be involved with uh, uh, launch vehicles? Yes. That isn't part of our our current track because it, it's a it's a matter of avoiding scope creep at this point. Uh, it is a commercial project. Uh, I, I don't want to get uh, diversification in our plan here uh, at this point, simply because we've got to get to that launch date. Certainly after that, then once we're comfortable with the uh, the turnaround and, and we've got a process that is, is acceptable to everyone involved, Transport Canada, Nav Canada, um, you know, the Lobster uh, Fisheries Association, those kinds of things, uh, and we can we can modify that schedule to increase tempo. We would certainly you know be happy to look at that, and I think the market is certainly there for it, from what I'm getting. Okay. Uh, According to a recent news report in the Port Hawkesbury Reporter, uh, a local paper in Nova Scotia, uh, you secured commitments of nearly $400 million for your launch services. Is that an accurate number and how many payloads does that represent? Uh, that was uh, 400 million Canadian, just to make sure the math is straight there. Um, and it is uh, 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 you know, more than a few uh, letters of intent from launch customers with uh, multiple missions in, in three of the four cases. Okay. I don't, and of course, you can't reveal any of those, uh, <laughs> those potential customers at this point, right? As much as I would love to. Um, But maybe I can ask you uh, some roundabout questions. Um, Are any of those commitments uh, from Canada? Uh, There are a couple that are very close to crossing the line with respect to Canada, uh, but the other ones are international. International, so. Not not, Not just the U.S., not just the U.S. Oh, okay. All right. Well, that's interesting. Um, all right. So 
this is the, the sort of the crux of of uh, of the business case uh, moving forward. Um, you know, is, once you get regulatory approval, should you go, should all that come uh, to fruition the way you want to? Um, you still need to have the funds to make the project viable. Um, will you have the funds uh, to be to begin construction and and move forward? At this point, the prospects are, are, are really positive towards that end. It, it is uh, uh, working together very well right now from uh, an, an equity and infrastructure and, and classic loan to, uh, uh, you know, across the board. We do have a lot of key pieces that are in place. We, we've been through seed funding and, and bridge funding and closing Series A and Series B. Uh, participants will likely be the same as Series A, so it's looking extremely uh, positive for us from that uh, financial perspective. Yes. So you, you you've done a Series A. We are we're in the final closing. You're in the final closing. So uh, one of the things that some people uh, do bring up uh, as a comparison is the failed. Um, uh, venture of uh, trying to get the cyclone uh, launched from Brazil. What, what's the differences between this project and that project, and 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 why does this one have a greater potential for success? This project is a 100% commercial project. Um, that's probably the key piece to it. The previous one uh, was a joint venture between two governments um, with a 50-50 joint venture where one is providing a spaceport and the other is providing a rocket. Um, not getting into the, the you know, uh, back and forth of how that actually ended up playing through um, or the responsibility assignment therein, uh, I, I wouldn't want to, you know, get into that kind of discussion. The reality is, as a commercial project, we're uh, under uh, finalizing direct contracts with Usenoya and Usmosh uh, as suppliers to us. And this is exactly the way it is operating very well for Orbital ATK with the Antares first stage uh, that is manufactured by Usmosh and, and, and uh, designed by uh, Usenoya. So it's modeling after that same uh, customer-supplier relationship. It's not in a government-to-government uh, project. Okay. Um, so that, that does make a very clear distinction between the two projects. And, um, and at this point, uh, you know, as a fully commercial project, there's no Canadian government involvement in the project. Uh, uh, but uh, uh, would you think that going down the road, should the commercial business take, take off, that there might be some Canadian interest, uh, government interest in, in actually uh, contracting you for use of the facility? Oh, yes, absolutely. You know, some of the conversations we've had uh, doing with, with uh, some government entities do involve uh, them uh, potentially buying the services, uh, you know, uh, getting some payload space for themselves and their missions. Uh, that is certainly the case, yes. So I just have uh, a couple of last questions here. Um, since the company uh, started up and, and became publicly known, um, you've had a little transition in your uh, senior management. Uh, John Isola, who was the CEO and VP for sales and marketing, uh, has left the, the company. Um, can you tell us uh, why that uh, came about? 
Well, there are, there are a number of uh, uh, pieces that fit into the, that change in the leadership. But what I can tell you, uh, you know, openly is that you know, John is absolutely still supporting the project. He is, uh, uh, you know, working directly for Usnoya as he has been for a number of years. Um, and you know, when we were out there in April, I'm sorry, in in August, um, he was a part of any and all of the meetings that we were having with Usnoya and helping us to uh, put together these uh, memorandum of cooperation. He's been instrumental in the project, and and grateful for that. Um, you know, so the change is is bringing more. Uh, associated with assignment than it is uh, anything else. He is at Usnoya uh, under contract by Usnoya, which you know has its own implications if he's going to be uh, uh, CEO for MLS. And then uh, we do have a whole regime associated with ITAR and export control and 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 data and everything else and and where he may be with regard to that, living in Ukraine, and you know working with the State Department in the U.S. and and uh, and the uh, global affairs in Canada and how that relationship could play out. Um, is he is he or was he a shareholder? Yes. So so is he still a shareholder then? Uh, he is still a shareholder. Ah, okay. So with respect to beginning construction in, in May of next year, um, what kind of uh, uh, new employment activity will this uh, do for the community? Uh, we, in just in recent meetings with uh, our, we, uh, by the way, we have selected a construction management company for this project. Um, it's Lindsay Construction, the largest construction firm in Atlantic Canada. Extremely positive uh, step forward for us um, with them being involved and helping us through this process. I've been through it here in the U.S. a number of times, but I don't have my my Canadian regulatory notebook out. And so having them uh, jump in and help us with this part of the project is is a critical goal forward. We've had meetings with them and some A&E firms and kicking off design just recently speaking about that kind of stuff. You know, expectation is there's going to be 100 plus people during construction, uh, you know, rising and falling uh, around various aspects of the construction project that will be uh, coming from that local area as much as possible. And then the longer term operations, and we're also looking at uh, setting up the uh, operations contract where we're, we're setting up, uh, uh, you know, a protective service services contractor or a general services contractor so we can have those be uh, companies that are providing providing services out of uh, out of Atlantic Canada and Nova Scotia so you know there is really positive uh, employment for that from that perspective um, it can draw from the area of Canso Hazel Hill Little Dover certainly Guysboro Antigonish and uh, Port Hawkesbury are going to be obvious places that people will be commuting from potentially um, but uh, a great deal of when, when you when you look at what it takes to operate a, a launch site, you know, it's not a bunch of scientists, geeky guys. It is really, you know, uh, people with wrenches and, and screwdrivers and the like. And, and uh, the Nova Scotia Community College, when you look at their degree program or their training programs, uh, they fit extremely well for operations of facilities like this. And, and, and I know of what I speak from having done it for at a NASA facility for 16 years. Operating facilities like that is, is, is you know, bread and butter for me. It's, I know how to make that part work really well. So I know what the skills are that we need for this thing, and I know what the skills are there in the community. So I, I totally see it all happening from there and not being imported. Well, 
You've given me some uh, great information. Uh, it's great to, to hear that the project is uh, uh, is uh, moving forward. Um, uh, look forward to uh, to hearing from you again and to to, to see how the project. Uh, uh, goes forward in 2018. So I'd like to thank you uh, for being on the Space Cube podcast and, and hopefully uh, uh, you'll consider being a guest on a future show. I'd be glad to. Thank you for the invitation. Well, that's a wrap on this episode of the Space Cube podcast. If you have comments on this episode, you can email me at podcast at spacecube.ca or you can post them on our website at spacecube.ca where you'll find an archive of each episode. You can also find SpaceQ on Twitter at Canada in Space, and we post all our articles and podcasts to Facebook at the SpaceQ. And don't forget to like us on Facebook. I'm also on LinkedIn at Mark K. Boucher, and if we're connected, you'll get SpaceQ articles and the podcast notification in your newsfeed. If you like the show, please subscribe to us through your favorite podcast app. If you use iTunes, please consider rating the show and writing a review if you're so inclined. Inclined.